0: Now would you turn in your Bibles uh, to Nehemiah chapter 1, which is page 336 if you're using one of the ones provided, and if you're not, it comes before Psalms and after Kings and Chronicles. It's one of those books, the hard to find ones. As you're turning, I want to I give you some context So the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy works to tie Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers together. So Deuteronomy, actually, the the name of the book is the repeat of the law, is the idea that's being expressed there. And in the book of Deuteronomy, it recounts all that the Lord has done. And it is essentially a sermon that Moses is preaching to the people on the eve of entering into the promised land after having wandered for 40 years. And just as they're entering into the promised land, the Lord places before the people an opportunity to renew the covenant with the Lord. So the Lord's Lord's side of the covenant is, I will be your God I will bring you into a good and spacious land. I will give you victory over the people there. I will help you establish a life that's healthy and good in that land. And through you, I will glorify my name to all the people. All the nations, all the people of the world will be blessed. That's the Lord's side of the covenant. The people's side of the covenant is to worship the Lord alone to forsake all other gods before him, but to worship him alone, and then to follow his statutes and decrees. And if they do that, it'll go well. And at the end of Deuteronomy, there is this time where Moses places before the people the blessings of the covenant, or contract is another way you might think of it, the blessings of the covenant, and the curses of the covenant. And the blessings are all the good things that will come forward, the fruit in their lives that they'll experience if they obey the Lord, and the curses are the bad things that will happen. And there's a lot of bad things that will happen to the people of God if they forsake the Lord. They will be uh, conquered. Their cities will be sieged. Their children will be dashed against the rocks. They will be starved. The temple will be destroyed. And they will be brought into exile. All of that is said in, in the book of Deuteronomy. In one way or another. And the people say, yeah, we'll enter into that covenant. And you know what Moses does? Moses writes a song. Actually, it's a long song. And the front end of the song is all that God has done for them. And the back two-thirds of the song is what will happen if they forget the front end of the song. It's this, and he says to the people, you have to learn and memorize this song. You have to sing the song. You have to know the song. He says, it's not a small thing. It's a big thing. He says, by the words of the song, you will live. And the song is, remember what God has done and know what will happen if you don't remember what God has done. And he teaches the people the song, and they forget it. And the Lord sends prophets to them, who, in their own way, are reminding them of the song. But people don't sing it, and the nation of Israel walks away from the Lord over several hundred years, and eventually all the curses that the Lord said would happen happen. Um, their city is besieged, they're starved. The walls are torn down and destroyed. The people are brought into exile. The Babylonians come in. They defeat Israel. And they bring all the the Jewish people that remain there into exile. And they are in exile for 70 years. As the Lord said they would be. And then in the 70th year of their exile. King Cyrus, the king of Persia, says this. The Lord the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And just as the Lord said in the 70th year, the Jewish people were allowed to return back to their homeland to start over again. And we're picking up in the story, in Nehemiah 1, where we're picking up is an occasion in the story where Nehemiah, who is a Jew is he he has remained in the capital of the Persian Empire in service to the king of Persia. He is the cupbearer to the king of Persia. It's a very prominent, trusted position. So Nehemiah has never returned back to the promised land. He never went home. In fact, I don't think he's ever even seen the promised land. If you do the best math, there's almost no way that Nehemiah was ever even alive. He would have only heard of of the beauty of the temple. He would have only known of how great I mean, the temple of Solomon was one of the seven wonders of the world. He would have, he would have heard of those things, but he would have never actually have seen them. And he's serving the king of Persia. And as he's serving the king of Persia, one of, a group of people come back from Jerusalem to the capital, and one of them is his brother. And he says to his brother, tell me about it. Tell me all about it. What is it like? Share with me. And this is what is said. Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekaliah In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried, so I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take you, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governor? the governors of the trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent Army officers and cavalry with me. I hope you saw the prayer of intercession. If you're joining us today, we are, We are. this is a series about intercessory prayer, how to intercede for others, how to pray prayers of intercession, and I hope you saw it. It's, the prayer of intercession is there, and, and in past Sundays, we've talked about how uh, how an intercessory prayer ought to sound, the elements of good intercessory prayer, this this morning what I want us to do is I want us to look at three lessons that we can learn from, from the scripture around the prayer, the setting of, out of which the prayer comes that I believe give Nehemiah success and that offer um, hope in prayer to God's people. There's, there's, there's three lessons, and I want to go through each one. and I want to show you show you where, where it happens. Here's the first first lesson to look at. Nehemiah prays out of his grief. Nehemiah's prayer comes out of his grief. Did you see in the third verse, after he hears, in the fourth verse, he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. His intercession for God's people comes out of his grief. Earlier we talked about what is a prayer of intercession. And we said that an intercessory prayer is essentially the fulfillment of the two great commandments. We love God and in loving God we go to him. But intercessory prayer comes from the fact that we love others. And so there's this sense. If you want to imagine like an image of intercessory prayer, it's you taking the hand of the person you're praying for and you kind of... You, you, at least in spirit, pull them towards the Lord and you take the Lord's hand and you stand in the middle and you intercede. Like, Lord, I love this person and I love you and you have the power to make this right. And when there is that kind of love, whenever something is wrong, there's grief. Grief is what happens. Grief is love in a situation where there's where something's wrong. Grief is, is how love is expressed is when we love somebody, but it's, it's not right. Something about their life isn't right, or something, there's, you have a parent who's, who's dying, or you have a, a, a friend or a spouse who's in trouble, or you have a child who's gone wayward, right? You have all of this love for them, and there's something not right there. And the love expresses itself naturally through grief. That's what grief is. It's just how it happens. And good intercessory prayer comes out of grief and heartache. It just does. I'm not saying that God wants us to be sad. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that intercession is a prayer That the Lord would heal somebody, or fix something, or mend something, or save, or repair, or redeem someone. And in order for us to really pray that, we have to, in some sense, feel their lostness, or their pain, or their hurt. It's our grief that connects us in prayer to that person. Let me flip it on its head and talk about it from the negative. When we distance ourselves from the brokenness of life, we distance ourselves from the ability to really pray. When we, in our life, choose to set up walls and safety barriers and set limits on relationships and all the sorts of things that protect us from grief, when we, when we choose not to look at some things because some things are so wrong that they would, they would get us down, so we don't want to look at it, so we don't look at it, when, well, we will not pray for the things that we won't look at. When there's things that we won't touch because they're already breaking, to touch them, just get your hands dirty, when we choose to distance ourselves from those things, how then can we expect to be able to intercede for those things? When we choose, like, the world will not cause me grief. Like, when we separate ourselves from the world in such a way that the only thing we truly love is ourself, then your grief is simply self-pity. And you cannot intercede. Very practically, so, very practically, this is one reason why churches do missions trips. (laughs) This is... You know why you do, one of the reasons you do a mission trip is not simply to go help on that occasion, but the byproduct of a mission trip is the people who go to Mali fall in love with the people of Mali. And then they grieve when there's something wrong there. And the people who go to Haiti see all the pain in Haiti. And that connection helps them truly intercede on their behalf. You know, in this church, there are some people who grieved and interceded when Katrina hit because their family's from the South, just like some people grieved and interceded when Sandy hit because some of their people are from New Jersey, which warrants intercessory prayer anyway. Thank you. There you go. That was a little late on that one. We intercede for the things that we love, and one of the ways we know we love is when something's wrong with someone we love, we grieve. It's so you may be saying to yourself, "Well, am I supposed to grieve everything? Like ought I to grieve everything that's wrong in the world?" And I would say, "Well, at some level, Jesus did." So I don't know what to say about that. I, maybe it's not practical to you, but there is some theoretical yes there. But maybe let me ask, help you ask the question in a different, more productive way in your life. Do you distance yourself from the things around you that grieve God? I'll help you with the question. I'll just add another word. How do we distance ourselves from the things around us that grieve the Lord? Maybe that's a little more useful to you is are you choosing not to see things? Intercession comes out of grief. Good intercession comes out of grief. You cannot just wake up and be a good intercessor. Okay, here's the here's the second lesson that I want you to show you here. Great intercession is born out of much prayer. Great intercession is born out of much prayer. We have this prayer that's here by Nehemiah, the one fifth verse, O oh Lord, God of heaven. right, That's there in front of us, but you've missed it if you think that's the prayer he prayed. It's not really. Look at the fourth verse. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and... Prayed before the God of heaven. And then, if you notice, in the second chapter, so he does, then he writes this long prayer, and then in the second chapter, when he's before the king, and the king says, What do you want, Nehemiah? What is it that you actually want? He says, And I prayed, and then I said. So, what you have here in this account is someone who didn't simply pray this prayer of intercession, but someone who is a person of prayer. He's always praying. He's always approaching the Lord in prayer. He's always coming to the Father in prayer. And this thing that has brought him grief has driven him to weep and fast and pray to the Lord and to seek the Lord day and night, all the time. There's this entire season of prayer that leads up to this idea of prayer. Sometimes it takes weeks to pray on a thing before you have a prayer that you know is godly. You know, those of you who have prayed before, the first section of the first period of time that you pray on an issue, um, very little of what you say is actually right or in the right spirit. We come to the Lord in the first, the first throes of prayer, when we come to the Lord, we come to the Lord with answers. Lord, why don't you do this? Or we come to the Lord with our own self-interest. It's really not a prayer of intercession. It's a prayer of petition. Lord, heal my wife so that my life is easier. They sound like that in the front. We need this time of intercessory prayer where we seek the Lord, where we draw close to the Lord, and through this period of time, we sweat out the imperfections of the prayer. We kind of it, The prayer refines, and it tightens up, and it gets better, until finally, at last, you arrive at a prayer where you go, this is a righteous prayer which can come before the Lord. Finally, like Nehemiah, you get to a place where you go, I'm writing it down. It is, this is the prayer that he wants me to pray. So often our prayers have wrong thinking involved. We don't understand what God's done or what he's doing. We don't understand who he is. We've forgotten those sorts of things. And it takes time of prayer to arrive and, and to remind ourselves of who is God and what has he done and, and how are we incorrectly involved in this? And what have we not even seen? Practically, I would say this. I wonder, let me just offer you some practical thought here. If you're like me, you can fall into the trap of praying often, but almost always praying inch deep for things that just come to your mind. So, you know, you, you see something that reminds you of a person who's sick, and you just you give, you, you, well, you send a prayer up, is what they would say, Right? you know and then you're commuting to work and you see an ambulance and you say a little prayer there and you see that and it's almost like the life just the world around us just serves as object lessons prompters causing us to pray and in doing so we pray often and there's this thought of I'm all, I'm often praying a lot of people say to me I pray often but rarely do we take some issue and it's only, usually it's only because it's causing us great grief that we take an issue and we wrestle that issue to the ground with the lord like we pray it into the ground. And I just want to I I ask you if maybe there'd be some benefit for you saying, rather than praying for 50 things a day, maybe I'll pray for one thing 50 times a day. I mean, how does the Lord, where's the Lord's opportunity to show you yourself in one sentence prayers? Where's where's your opportunity to to be allow a deeper revelation of His will? You know, when you have an issue that you're praying on, and then you go to the Word and you see God's holy, and you come back to that issue and you go to the Word and you see He's merciful you come back to that issue and you go to the other place in the word and you see that he does in fact grieve when he sees sickness and death and you come back to, to the word and, and prayer and then you go back to the word and you see that, that Jesus is a healer and his mission to earth is to fix all that's wrong and to make everything new again. And you come back to the prayer. Pretty soon, if it's the same prayer, you have a robust petition to the Lord. Lord, I know you. And now I come to you on behalf of this person but just like you've walked around the whole mountain of God. You've seen every side of him on this issue. I just want to encourage you just to not be critical, but to critique your life of prayer and say, are you a mile wide and an inch deep? And to encourage you that true intercession comes after days and days of prayer. I will also say, very practically, there's, there's value in praying with another person from time to time, interceding with another person because when that person opens their mouth, they're looking at the Lord differently than you and it, sometimes it speeds you up like, ah, oh, why don't I think that way? You know, how come I never approach the Lord like, ah, uh-uh. for me, I, in, I start in self-deprecation and confession with the Lord. And so I always enjoy sitting down with somebody who starts with, Lord, you're great and marvelous. Many are the deeds you've done for me. And it just falls on me like, why don't I do that? Great intercessory prayer comes out of grief. And grief comes from loving things that are broken, like God loves things that are broken. And great intercession takes time. And here's the third lesson. The third lesson is found in the prayer of Nehemiah itself. If you look at the prayer itself, first of all, you'll recognize things we've talked about before. In the first part of the prayer, where Nehemiah is confessing their sins, it's important to see, like we talked about last week, that Nehemiah assumes that God's current position is a godly one. He's not assuming that God started in an ungodly position or has been inactive and he's trying to awake the Lord to action, but rather he says, Lord, I know why things are currently the way they are. It's because of the sin of the people and you promised that this would happen and it's because of your justice and your goodness that it did happen and for that I confess and I'm sorry. Not simply for my sins, the sins of my fathers, the sins of my people, Lord, forgive us. So there's the sense. And then he moves into the promise of God. He sees what God's done and, and, and what he said in the past and he begins to preach with the mind of God, which we talked about all that last week. But what I want you to focus on is the last phrase of the prayer. He says this, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Grant me favor with the king today is what he prays. Now, one thing to see here is, it, notice th- he's prayed for days and days and days and days on this thing, but he doesn't give the Lord the answer. This is not rife with details. A lot of times our prayers are actually planning. We're simply brainstorming how to fix something and attaching God's name to it. So when we go to the Lord, we go to the Lord with a plan A and a plan B with a few subplans attached to those plans if he you know, needs help in the prayer. You knows this is not what Nehemiah does. Obviously, Nehemiah has a plan in his mind. I mean, he says later on to the king, if I could have letters to the tra- governors of the trans-Euphrates giving me safe passage, that'd be great. And if you could send a letter to the, gov- the, the keeper of the king's forest so that I could have these kinds of timbers. I mean, I don't doubt that he knows how many nails he needs. But what he prays to the Lord is favor. Lord, just give me favor. And I have to wonder sometimes if the Lord has actually answered your intercessory prayer, just not in accordance with your plan. And you don't see it. Because you've prayed with so much meticulous detail. The Lord's saying, I'm trying to give you what you want. I'm trying to give you exactly what you want, but you don't even know what you want. And if maybe we could just step back, but I I just want you to see that. That's not the lesson. You can make it a lesson. Call it a Lesson 3A. But what I want you to see is this. His prayer involves him stepping out in faith. This is not a prayer of, Lord, forgive the people of Israel, and Lord, I pray you give them favor. He does not say, Lord, give them favor. He does not say in his current setting, Oh, Lord, I see the brokenness around me. I see all that needs to be done, Lord. Pray, Lord. Heal that brokenness. Enter in, Lord. Lord, send someone who has a love for those people like I have a love for those people. Send someone with my skill set, Lord, into that world where they, they can bring healing, Lord. If you could just find someone else who is gifted the way I'm gifted and grieves the way I grieved, if you would send them to that issue. That's not his prayer. His prayer, he grieves and suffers all of this issue and then he says, grant me favor, Lord, as I go to the king. He has to do something fearful. It says that he's fearful when he goes to the king. Right Here's the cupbearer saying to the emperor of the largest empire in the world at the time, I'm sad because the nation you have conquered Is desolate. And I'd like to go build walls around a city that you own. Defensible walls around a city that you own. That's what he's about to say. This prayer is coupled with faithful action. His intercession involves intercession. So often we want to pray prayers of intercession, but not be involved in intercession, like real intercession. I mean, we should see this. I don't want to make this obligatory. I don't want to cast an attitude of there's no possible way that you can intercede for somebody unless you're actually willing to get down and get your hands dirty. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I, I certainly imagine that there are people who have been called to pray for um, tribes in Ecuador that the Lord doesn't call to go to tribes of Ecuador. I mean, I know many, especially among mature and older people who've just called to a heart of intercession and prayer, and it's beautiful. And I don't want to call intercessory prayer not action. Prayer is action. So I don't want to say that, but I do want us to notice and see what happens here. And for you to question, does it ever happen in your own life that this kind of prayer, that true prayer of intercession, would actually move us to step into the situation? It might apply in your life. Oftentimes, a faithful prayer implies faithful exposure to the world. The book of James in the New Testament says it this way. "It says, James says, faith and deeds are connected. In the message, it would be like people. Faith and deeds are connected. That's what it would sound like in the message Bible. He would say, nobody goes to someone who you know, doesn't have good clothes and is hungry and say, may the Lord bless you and give you good clothes and may you have a full belly today, my child, and then walk away. James says, that is not legitimate. That prayer does not count, is what he would say. He would say this, faith by itself if is not accompanied by action is dead. He wouldn't just say he actually said that. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Now I do believe that prayer is action, but I do want to ask you, I want to challenge you that do you pray to the point of inaction? Do you intercede for someone, but in the interceding still hold yourself at a distance so that, so that you don't have to get mired down in their situation to which the Lord would say, I would answer the prayer if my worker was faithful. Let me ask you this. This, this prayer of intercession, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they have done. Did that come without action? With mean, nails in his hands and feet when he prayed Intercession requires intercession. What kind of people is God calling us to be? Ones who sit at a distance and pray that the world would look great. Ones who see what is broken, grieve, wrestle with the Lord, and step in. That is the heart of intercessory prayer. I want us to pray now together. And... As we pray, I'm going to just lead you through a reflection on how you pray, and maybe this is a good time for you to ask the Lord to change your heart about prayer. So would you pray with me, please, as we uh, reflect on the message here? Lord, you are the God of the heavens and the earth, and in you are all answers. Lord, this morning as your people, we reflect that we cannot find the good apart from you. Lord, and we reject in mind, and I pray that you would help us reject in life the idols that are around us that tempt us to seek the good somewhere else, Lord. We reject wealth as an idol, Father. We reject uh, friendship even as an idol, in our lives, Lord. Not that those things cannot be good, Lord, but that they tempt us to look somewhere else other than you. And Father, we turn to you in prayer and we pray that you would make us, mature us, Lord, to be children of prayer. And just as your, your eyes are closed, I want each one of you to think about Reflect on, in your life, is there the things that grieve you, the, the areas in your life, whether it is um, you know, a parent or a relative who's not well, or a broken friendship, a failed marriage, a child who is suffering or not where they ought to be. I just want you to make that the focus of your prayer right now. If you find yourself saying, there's nothing that grieves me. I just want you to wonder, ask yourself, why is that? Give that to the Lord. Lord, why is it that I am unmoved by this world around me that grieves you so mightily? Lord, I do pray that you would help us stay with you on these issues, Lord, the ones that are in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us be there time and time again, Lord, that we would return to your throne again and again because by the name of Jesus Christ, you give us confidence. Lord, you say we we don't have because we don't ask, Lord. You give us great and grand, mysterious phrases like we could move you with faith, like we could move mountains, Lord. And I pray that we would go to those verses and come back to you, and go to those verses and come back to you on the things of, of this age in our life that grieve us so. Show us yourself, Lord. And in doing so, Lord, make us willing and submissive to step out in faith. And I pray this.